Well, good morning. If you have a Bible, open it up to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 10 through 20. Philippians 4, 10 through 20. I will start in verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit, which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your word and the opportunity that we have this morning to study it. We pray that through it we would know you. I pray that your spirit would move in here this morning in our hearts and our minds and convict us of our sin, convict us of those areas in which we need to change. Father, this is a difficult subject for many, if not most of us, because uh, the subject of contentment and generosity touches upon some very deeply held beliefs within our culture that also infiltrate our minds and hearts. And so I pray, God, that you would uh, soften our hearts. And open our minds. And then through the power of your spirit, move in our bodies that we would obey you. Father, we thank you. We pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, before I was the college pastor here, I went to seminary. went to seminary up in Dallas, and I was there for four years. And uh, seminary is a great opportunity. It was for me to learn about the Bible, to learn about preaching, to learn about all of that stuff that goes into being a pastor. But uh, to tell you the truth, the most difficult part for me about going to seminary was not the academic workload. Although at times the workload was tough, the hardest part for me was the financial hardship that being in seminary sometimes posed. Uh, didn't have a whole lot of money. It costs several thousands of dollars every semester. My wife was a teacher and that helped, but we most months were kind of barely skating by where our income just barely equaled our expenses. And in some cases, we would hit the end of our money much before we hit the end of the month. And so uh, it was a tough situation. Well, in the middle of all of this, one semester, uh, I went up to campus, to the seminary campus, opened up my box that I had on campus and pulled out the financial statement that they would give you explaining your bills and all of that at the beginning of every semester, pulled out my financial statement, looked at it, saw how much the tuition was, expenses, all that kind of stuff, and then looked underneath and uh, my account had been credited with a $3,500 scholarship. Now, uh, here's the deal. I had applied for scholarships uh, repeatedly and had been turned down. So I immediately knew 
that probably some mistake had been made, that, that I had been accidentally credited with this. Now, I don't know if in your mind right now you have a, an amount of money that would solve all your problems. You know, when you're little, it's, it's like 15 bucks, right? If I could just buy an extra couple of packs of bubble gum, maybe some pixie sticks, I'm good, right? The world will be settled. Uh, as you get older, uh, that amount goes up. For me, when I was in seminary, I remember thinking it was like $10,000. You know, if I had $10,000, everything would be great. And here, I'd been credited with over a third of what I knew I needed to solve my life. And I thought, boy, this is fantastic, but immediately thought, this is probably also a mistake. Uh, because I lived in that sort of middle realm where uh, I had too much money to get a scholarship, but I didn't really have enough money to pay for stuff. And so I knew uh, that they weren't going to give me that money. And so I immediately started walking to the financial office to tell them they had made a mistake. But as I walked that direction, my mind began to fill with all kinds of thoughts. One of them was, perhaps God wants me to have this money. Anyway, one of those thoughts was, you know, maybe it would be a lack of gratitude to go turn it back in, right? Uh, Maybe the seminary had a change of heart and they decided I deserve this money because I do, right? Uh, I thought, well, maybe this is kind of like great expectations. You know, I have an anonymous benefactor out there who's given me money, you know, and like four of you got that. But okay, so here's the deal. All of these thoughts are going through my mind and I'm thinking, should I give this back? Should I not? Well, it didn't take long, of course, for me to realize like I I have to at least go check on this. And sure enough, I walked up there, showed them, I said, you know, I don't think that I deserve this huge scholarship, although I'd like to keep it. And the lady at the desk looks at me and she goes, oh yeah, this is for another student, an international student. Thank you for letting us know. And even then in the back of my mind, I thought, do I get a reward for turning it in, right? Like 10%, just I'll take 300 bucks, whatever it is. Uh, Do I get something for turning it in? There was nothing. Turned it in, walked back down the stairs, And uh, even in my mind, I thought, I know I did the right thing, but I'm not happy about it. I want to keep it. And uh, in my heart, there was just this sense of if I just had a little bit more, I'd be happy. Maybe you felt that way. It might be that you, uh, you work a lot to pay for your expenses for school. And then you look over at a roommate or somebody else who lives in your dorm and their parents give them everything. And you go, well, that's not fair. Maybe your parents do pay for school, but not at the same level as somebody else, right? So uh, you're living over in Dunn Hall, and you look at somebody else who's living in Callaway House, and you go, man, if that were me, I'd be happy, right? Uh, If I just had the shoes that she has, my life would be a lot better. Walking would be easier. If I just had the clothes that person had, if I just had the car that person had, and all of us have had those moments where you think, if I just had a little bit more, I would be content. If I just had a little bit more, I could be generous, right? If I just had a little bit more, I'd have enough to give away to other people. I have some news for you. Uh, That struggle with discontent isn't going to get any easier throughout the course of your life. Right now, the truth is that most of you feel like you don't have a lot, and compared to much of this country, perhaps you don't, right? As a student, uh, you don't necessarily feel like you have a whole lot of disposable income, and it's interesting uh, that what tends to happen as we get older, the more income we have, the more we feel like we need. 
And our culture will try to tell you, you need just a little bit of a bigger house. You need just a little bit more expensive car than you have. You need just a little bit better clothes than you've got. And then you'll be happy. And so you're going to have this struggle all the way through your life. And so my question to you as we begin looking at this passage this morning is going to be this. Do you live even now as a person who is content with what God has given you and then a person who is free to be generous? And even now, some of you are formulating objections in your mind. You're thinking, well, I I really, I don't have that much money, right? I've got just enough to pay for school and my books and hit mug walls three or four times a day, but that's all I got, man. I just skate by. And what we're going to see from this passage is that uh, the issue of contentment and generosity actually doesn't hinge on how much you have. In fact, Paul says, I've learned how to be content whether I have a whole lot or whether I don't have enough. The issue of contentment is a value issue that penetrates to the very core of how you understand the purpose of your life, how you understand why God has placed you here on this earth, how you understand your relationship with him. Bottom line is that most of your life consists of how you spend your time and how you spend your money. Those are the two biggest resources that you have. And how you spend your money is not primarily a reflection of how much you have. It's primarily a reflection of what you value. And so the question then is, what do you value? If we were to pull out our bank statements this morning and set them down, what what is it that you value? How do you invest your money? Do you invest it only in yourself or in the things of the kingdom of God? As we've walked through the book of Philippians, Paul has been challenging these people to orient their life around the gospel. He's been challenging them not to drift away from it, but instead to use their time, their energy, their resources in investing in the kingdom of God because that's what will last forever. And as we get toward the end of the book, even though this group of people had some problems with internal conflict, they have some problems with false teaching, they've got some fear and insecurity, even though that's going on, there's one thing this group did well, and that is that they were generous with the money that God had given them, even though they didn't have a lot. They were generous with the money that God had given them and they had partnered with Paul as he sought to share the gospel all around the world. And so Paul essentially has written this whole letter. You find out this whole letter is a thank you note. Thank you for partnering with me in the gospel. But in the midst of that thank you, Paul gives us some principles about both contentment and generosity that we need to listen to because as we grow older, as you get out of college, as you make a salary, as you get a job, as you try to buy a house or a car, whatever it is, there will be values that drive how you spend your money. And those values are going to determine, are you free to pursue Jesus Christ and give to him? Or do you enslave yourself with the way you spend your money? So that's what we're going to look at this morning. All right, tough subject, uh, very convicting subject, but a critical one and one that the scripture talks about a lot. How can we live lives in which we really are content and then free to be generous? All right, so let's look at Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 10. First thing that we're going to see is this, that contentment uh, brings us freedom. Contentment leads to freedom. Look at verses 10 through 13. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. 
Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, this is great. Paul says, look, I really appreciate the gift that you guys gave to me, but it's interesting. He says, you know what? I don't really need it. And now that's a funny thank you note, right? If you, would you think about writing that to your grandma after Christmas, right? Thanks for the 200 bucks, but I don't need it, right? Signed, your grandson. No, you wouldn't. Okay, but what Paul's point is, is Paul is making a bigger point here. He's saying, look, I appreciate the gift you've given me, but I'm not speaking as a person who's greedy and constantly looking for money. Instead, I've learned to be content. Whatever circumstance God has put me in, he says, there's times I've had a lot of extra money. And there's times that it's felt like I haven't had enough. But either way, I have learned the secret of being content. And contentment is that spirit that says, I'm okay with what God has given me. Paul says in another place, if we have, in 1 Timothy, if we have food and clothing, with these we'll be content. If you've got food in your stomach this morning, you've got clothes on your back, Paul says you can be content. It's that attitude that says, I don't need to keep striving for more, no matter how much I have. Now remember, it's not about the dollar amount that's in your checking account. Uh, Paul says, yeah, there's times I've had a lot, and he doesn't say it's evil to have a lot. Because you can have a lot and still be content and generous. He says, also, there's times that I've been in want. I haven't had enough. You know what? Even if you don't have enough, you can still be content and generous. Paul says, in whatever circumstance I find myself, whatever financial situation, I've learned the secret of how to be content. But the reality is our culture tells us you shouldn't ever be content. Right? Uh, Think about the ads that I I don't know if they're still running or not, but they were a few years ago. Uh, The ads for Mac computers, right? Versus PC. You guys remember these, right? The PC guy uh, was dressed kind of shabbily, always looked confused, didn't understand what was going on. He was not cool, right? The Mac guy is cool, right? He's sleek. He's got it all together. He knows what's happening, right? And the idea is, of course, you think of the difference between you look at Bill Gates, you look at Steve Jobs, right? There's a contrast between the way these guys dress, the way these guys look. The idea was supposed to be, if you don't have a Mac, you're not one of us. You're not one of the Mac people, right? The Mac people sit at cool coffee shops and they wear turtlenecks, right? (laughs) Uh, They are the in crowd. They buy lattes. They're not drinking Folgers, right? That's the Mac people, okay? Now, the reality is that about a year ago, uh, I got a Mac. And you know what happened in my life? You know how it changed me and made me more significant and important and together? Not at all, okay? I mean, I like it, but it's a computer. It's a tool. And the reality is that too often we buy into that illusion that if I just have this, I'd be content. And constantly our society pushes that message on us. I told you guys uh, in the last few weeks at some point, my wife and I just went through the process of we're selling our house, we're buying another house, because when we moved into our current house, it was the two of us. Now we have three kids, a dog, there's five, actually six of us, once you count the dog. And so uh, we got to a place where we thought, you know, it'd be nice to have a little bit more space than the Lord had provided. But here's what's interesting. As we look around, 
there's always this temptation. You say, I've got this amount of money that I can afford to spend. But there's this house over here. And it's only thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 more. And it looks better. So you look at that one. But you know, it's interesting. If you talk to the people who buy that one, you know what they're doing? They're going, ah, if I only had fifty, seventy-five, $100,000 more, I could buy that one. Then you go up to that one. And those people go, oh man, if I had another $100,000, I could buy this one, right? And it just keeps going. I had a friend of mine tell me at one point, he said, never look at a house that's more expensive than you can afford. You know why? Because you'll never be happy with the one you can. And the challenge that some of you are going to face, you're going to graduate from college and right now you make like 20 bucks a year or something like that. You're going to get out and you're going to make all of this money, right? Some of you are going to get out and they're going to tell you that you're going to make like $45,000 a year and you're going to go, I'm rich. I'm going to plug up the bathtub, fill it up with money and take a money bath tonight. That's what I'm going to do. I'm wealthy. Right? And you're going to look and you're going to say, my parents lived in this house here. My friend who graduated five years ago lived in this house here. I need to move into his neighborhood with his stuff. And he drives this kind of car and I got to do that. And you're going to do that. And within months, you're going to be up to your eyeballs in debt. Because you're spending based on your discontent instead of based on what God has given you. This is why statistically 40% of Americans spend more than they earn. The average credit card debt, average credit card debt is $8,000. Okay, that doesn't include student loans, that doesn't include cars, that doesn't include mortgages. That's just consumer credit card debt. Because we are a people who are convinced if we just had a little bit more, we'd really be free. The irony is that if we continue to do that, what happens? We enslave ourselves. I had a friend a number of years ago that said he really wanted to be able to go overseas, be a missionary, and share the gospel, but he couldn't do it. You know why? He had too much debt. And the amount he was going to make there wasn't going to be enough to pay back what he had racked up in credit card debt, so he was stuck. I've known people who've gotten out and they said, you know, uh, we're both, we're married, we're both making good salaries, let's just max out both of these salaries. We'll buy the big house, we'll buy the big car, and then have kids. And they go, "Ah, we'd love for one of us to be able to stay and take care of the kids, but our lifestyle doesn't allow us to do that anymore. Known people who have decided, you know, I'd like to go back to school, but I've already made such poor financial decisions, I can't do it. And what happens is discontent has a way of enslaving us. My two-year-old son has started playing this game with me where he'll come up to me, And he will say, Daddy, I'm going to put you in jail. And uh, he will grab me by the hand and he will take me over to our coat closet in the entryway, put me in there and close the door and just laugh like it's the funniest thing he's ever seen, right? So I'll play it up. I'll knock on the door. Let me out. Let me out. You know, and uh, he just laughs and laughs and laughs. And uh, then he'll let me out and then he'll put me in again. Well, we did this for a while the other day and then I needed to kind of move on and go do something else. And so... I was doing the dishes in the kitchen, and he came over and goes, Daddy, I'm going to put you in jail. And I said, son, I can't go to jail right now. Uh, I'm doing the dishes, right? And even as I said it, I thought, well, that's a funny concept, right? And my wife started laughing, and she goes, wouldn't that be cool if you could really do that, right? If the cops come to arrest you, you go, doing the dishes, right? And you just go back to it, okay? Now, what's, the, what's, 
odd about that is you think, well, jail is somewhere you have to go. You don't have a choice. But here's what's interesting. Many of you will put yourself into a jail that you choose to go to because of your financial choices. And you'll find yourself in a place where you go, man, because of my discontent, I'm in prison. And what Paul actually says is, look, there's a secret to being content in every circumstance. He says it leads to this freedom where I don't necessarily need to constantly be grubbing for money because I'm behind. Instead, he says, I can trust in Jesus Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Have you ever read the context of that verse before? My guess is that you've heard that verse a lot, right? Athletes use it all the time. I can win this game. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? You've used it before you go into a test you didn't study for, right? I can do this. I can do all things. Guys, before you ask that girl out, you've had a bad streak, maybe a couple years. I can do all things, right? Okay, but when you look at the context of this passage, here's what's interesting about this passage. It actually says, what it's saying is this, that in Jesus Christ, I can live with enough. I can live with more than enough. I can live with less than enough. I can be content with where God has placed me because of the power of Jesus Christ that lives within me. Because of the recognition that in Jesus Christ, I have all the riches of eternity and I don't need to constantly be worried about how much I have. Because I can trust that God owns it all and God will provide just what I need to do his will just when I need it. I may not always have more than I need. Sometimes it may feel like I struggle. Sometimes it may feel that I have less than I need. But Paul says, I can do that through Christ who gives me strength. That's the secret of contentment. I rely upon my God and I say, I'm going to trust in you to provide that means I live in the smaller house, if that means I live in the different neighborhood, if that means I'm not wearing the same clothes or driving the same car as somebody else. I can trust God that he's given me what he wants me to have. And here's what's great. It creates this freedom for me to follow Jesus without being enslaved to money. And it allows me to do something else, and that is it allows me to be generous with what God has given. Generosity provides a number of positive benefits in our life. But if you're enslaved to debt, if you're discontent, if you're overspending, you can't do it. Somebody comes to you and says, I'm going overseas to share the gospel. Would you like to partner with me and support me in that? You can't do it. Your church decides we have a project. We need to expand something in order to share the gospel more effectively with our community. Uh, We need funds to do that. You're enslaved to debt and overwhelmed with your spending. You can't do it. And yet when we are able to be generous because we've been content, it leads to a number of things. The first one being eternal impact. We can make an eternal impact with our money. Look what Paul says, verse 14. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Now notice what he says. No church shared with me, partnered with me. That's the idea of fellowship. No church partnered with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. And he ties that to his preaching the gospel. The idea is these people said, we want to have an eternal impact with our money. So the Philippians, they didn't have a lot of money. All right. This was not 21st century America where everybody had cupboards full of food. These people 
live day to day. And yet they said, we want to invest our money in something that will last forever. Because the truth is that God owns every cent that you have. It's not as if you have a certain amount of money and you go, 90% of this is me money and 10% of this is God money. And I'm not saying you give, you have to give 100% of it. What I am saying is that all of it belongs to God. And so what we do is we provide for ourselves and our family those things that we need to live, but we allow that out of what God has provided for us that we want to give to his work and invest in those things that will last. It's interesting that the home that we're moving into, I mean, we're, we're excited about it. It's, it's a joy to our family. It's interesting to see there's a reminder, even in this home, of the temporal nature of spending our money on stuff that isn't going to last forever. The, the person we're buying the home from, an older woman, she's had this house for, I don't know, 20 years, something like that. And in that intervening time, since she bought the house now, she spent a lot of effort and investment on the backyard and the front yard. It's just, it looks beautiful. Flowers and trees and all kinds of stuff all over the place that looks great. But even as we move in there, I thought, you know, it's nice to have all this stuff in there. But I thought, isn't it interesting? She spent 20 years developing and cultivating and doing all of this stuff. You know, where she lives now, she's moved to a nursing home. There is no yard. I thought, you know, I'm grateful for it. But it's this reminder that, you know, that's one day we'll move on from it. It's just a house. It's just a place to sleep. And although we can be grateful and although we know that at times God chooses to give us good things, never forget that the money that we spend on stuff, it's it's really not going to last. The money we invest in God's kingdom, it'll last forever. And one of the greatest joys in my life has been to partner with those going overseas, to partner with my church, uh, to share a little bit of what God has given us, which isn't much compared to some. But it allows me the privilege of saying, I invested my money in the opportunity to see men and women come to know Jesus. And I can have an eternal impact I'm not, and my family, we're not uh, among those people that like when the university is trying to build a big new building, they come to us and say, can you write a big check, right? So I'm going to go, here's 25 bucks. Don't spend it all on one brick, right? It's kind of our situation, right? And the reality is that most of the people that we give to who share the gospel, they could do without our contributions. Just practically speaking, they could do without it. But the biggest benefit is that I get to write a check or give cash and say, that money in some small way is going to be used to spread the gospel. You want to do something with your funds that will last forever, invested in the kingdom of God. If you're not giving at this point to missionaries or giving to your church, my question for you is why not? Again, even if all you have is 20 bucks a month. Think of the poor widow who gives from what she has. You say, how can I participate in what God is doing? The reality is, again, God owns everything. God is not walking around pulling out his pockets going, man, I need, gosh, I just need a little more. That's not God. 
Instead, what he's done is say, I'm giving you the opportunity to use the funds I've given you to have an impact for eternity. Not only an eternal impact, but also an eternal reward. Look at verse 17. Paul says, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Or literally in the Greek, the fruit which increases or will be credited to your account. The idea is that uh, when you give, uh, there is fruit that uh, God will bear through these men and women who share the gospel, these men and women who proclaim the truth. God will bear fruit through them in the form of people who trust Jesus and receive eternal life. In the form of those who grow deeper in their walk with Christ, God will bear fruit. And that fruit will be credited to your account on the day that you stand before Jesus Christ and your life is evaluated. And we've talked about this over and over in here. If you know Jesus Christ... You don't need to worry about your eternal destiny, right? Eternal life is a gift given uh, because Jesus died for your sins and he rose again. You cannot earn your way to heaven and you cannot buy your way to heaven. That's not what this is saying. Instead, what it's saying is that every Christian, just as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, he says it in 1 Corinthians 3, which we'll see in a minute. Paul says, you will stand before Jesus Christ, even as a Christian, and your life will be evaluated, how you spent your time, how you spent your money. And those who are faithful will receive a reward, the opportunity to reign to a greater or lesser degree with Jesus Christ. The opportunity to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, and perhaps receive a crown that you throw at his feet in worship. And on that day, that's the only thing that will matter. Paul says, I seek the fruit that will be credited to your account. It's no secret that your parents spend a lot of money on you. I saw a statistic that said from the time a kid is born to the time that kid goes to college, most parents, the average parent in this country will spend about $300,000 on their kid. That's a lot of money. You guys better start working hard, pay all that back, right? Now, the truth is that uh, your parents don't expect you to pay it back, right? Uh, now, they may, from time to time, in an unguarded moment, have complained about how much you cost, Right? You may have heard them saying something like, uh, you're eating me out of house and home. You're expensive. But the reality is that they don't ever ask you probably for that money back. They don't say, okay, you start working at 22, you pay me 10%. Why? Because the money they put into your life, they consider it an investment. Most parents say, I'm investing in this child to send this child forth into the world to do something significant. Christian parents hopefully say, I'm sending this child forth into the world to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. And so it's an investment, not only in your future, but in their future. And that's how Paul sees the money that we invest in the things of his kingdom. It's an investment. And it's an investment even in your future because we're sending money forward to the kingdom of heaven. And one day we get it back in the form of blessing and reward from our Savior. Paul says, I seek the fruit that is credited to your account. The reality is you're not giving that money again because God God needs it, right? He's not opening his pocket saying, I'm out of money. Imagine if you walked into Best Buy this afternoon and uh, as you're walking around looking, Bill Gates walks up to you and says, hey, uh, I need to buy a copy of Office, but I'm kind of out of dough. Can you spot me 500 bucks or whatever it costs, 200 bucks? That's ridiculous, right? He owns the company. He doesn't need my 200 bucks to buy a copy of Office. God owns everything, everything. 
doesn't need my 200 bucks. But he's given me the opportunity to invest in his kingdom and receive a reward for it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire. Think about the way you spend your money or the things you invest your money in. Things that are going to burn up on the day of Jesus Christ. Or the things you invest your money in, things that are going to last. That are going to go through that fire. And are you going to receive a reward? Okay, so generosity leads not only to eternal impact, but also to eternal reward. And then thirdly, this is interesting, Paul says also to abundant provision. Look at verses 18 to 20. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now this is interesting because some people use passages like this and they say, look, if you give 50 bucks, God will give you 5,000. Right? That's not what it's saying. Uh, there are some who say, well, I think God's dream, in fact, this is a quote from Joel Osteen, I believe that God's dream is that we be successful in our careers, that we be able to send our kids to college. I don't think so. I don't think that's what this passage is saying or passages like it. And yet Paul seems to say that as you give, God will supply your needs. So what's going on here? Here's what I think Paul is getting at is that as you give, as you are generous, God provides what you need to do his will for as long as he's called you to do his will. That's why Jesus says, look, don't worry about what you eat or what you drink. Okay. This passage we read earlier, Matthew 6, do not worry then saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Now watch this. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The idea is this. You seek the kingdom of God. You invest your money, your time, your energy in the things of Jesus Christ and he will provide what you need. Doesn't mean you will always feel comfortable. Doesn't mean your kids will go to Harvard. Doesn't mean you'll be able to wear a polo shirt. Okay? Doesn't mean those things. Does anybody wear polo shirts anymore? I don't even know. What it does mean is that God will provide what you need to do his will. And I've seen this in my life over and over and over again. I told you guys, when we were in seminary, uh, it was pretty consistent that uh, we would hit the end of our money before we hit the end of month. And we'd be sitting there with a deficit. And yet, what was interesting was, as we made the decision to say, even out of our nothing, we're going to try to give first from what God has given. Now, we still had months where we ran out of money. But we never starved to death. Somehow, we always had food in our stomach, clothes on our back. God provided Just last semester, my wife and I uh, made an additional commitment to give to something we'd been wanting to give to for a while. 
that we felt would increase the spread of the gospel, help our kids think about that issue as well. And so we began to give, and uh, it was a stretch. Because we were also in a place where we were going, man, the, the expenses and the income are getting tight, but we said, we're going to stretch a little bit and do this. Decided to give that the very next day. We randomly received some gifts that more than covered the amount we'd committed to give for the whole year. Now, that doesn't always happen to us. And in fact, there are times we take that step of faith and we go, I don't know how this is going to work out. And yet what we've seen is time and time again, the Lord doesn't allow us to starve. The Lord doesn't cause us to go naked. But he provides what we need. And I think he'll continue to do that until the day he says, you know what? You've served your purpose for me here on this earth. And he takes me home. Jesus says, seek first his kingdom, and then he'll add what you need, and you can trust him. And what you need might be different from what you think you need, but you can trust him. As we close, again, I just want to ask you, how do you spend your money? You may need to go back now and look carefully at your checking account, look carefully at your bank statement, whatever it is, and say, am I spending my money in ways that are going to lead me down the road of debt slavery that are going to lead me down the road of discontent or am I spending below my means even now so I can give back to the work of God one other thing I want to do I I want to give you an opportunity this morning to exercise faith in this area of your life I'm not going to ask you to give to me right doesn't really matter actually how much you give to the church this morning I pretty much get the same thing Uh, I'm not going to ask you to pull out your checkbooks necessarily right now. But here's what I do want to do. I want to bring up some folks who are going overseas with us this summer, our uh, summer project teams. You guys are around here somewhere, aren't you? If you're here, go ahead and stand up and come forward. Okay, here we go. All right, the folks that are coming up right now, these men and women are going overseas to share the gospel with us this summer to our three locations. All right, some are going to a place called Tradewinds, which is a Muslim context. Some are going to East Asia, and others are going to Greece. All of them have said, we want to spend the first half of our summer sharing Jesus overseas. Now, in order to do that, they're raising support to do that. All the money that they're raising goes directly into the expenses for their trip to share Jesus Christ around the world. What I thought we could do this morning, I want to do this. I'm going to pray for them in a moment Okay, if you are interested in supporting them, I just want to make that available to you. Like I said, none of this money goes in my pocket. None of this money goes into the pockets of any of the pastors here. This money goes directly to support what they are doing to share the gospel around the world. To college students like you who literally have no churches. They have no opportunity to hear of Jesus. If that's something you're interested in, let me just make this opportunity available. You can write a check. We go through Campus Crusade for Christ. We use their structure and system. So you can write a check to Campus Crusade for Christ. There's a blue box back there uh, by the Welcome Center. Wall is holding it up right now. There's a blue box back there. You can put cash in that blue box as well if you want. Second thing is, if you don't have it this morning, you can email Jamie Bryant at grace-bible.org if you want to give something to them later. We're going to pray for them. I also want to say this. If you are going on a mission trip this summer, or you're going to work at a camp, or in some way going to minister and share the gospel over the summer, stand up right where you are. Okay. It's a good number of people. What I want to do, I'm going to pray for these men and women, and then just ask, would the Lord have me take a step of faith even this morning to begin to arrange my finances around how I can 
participate in his work around the world. Would you guys pray with me? Father, I thank you for each of these men and women. All of them who are standing are people who have committed to do your work. All of them who are standing are people who say they want to be used to share the message that Jesus Christ died and rose again. So, Father, I pray that you would use them mightily. I pray as they go, you would protect them, keep them safe. I pray you would make them bold. I pray that you would go before them and prepare the hearts of those they're going to talk to. Allow them to share the gospel faithfully. I pray as a team that they would get along well, that there would not be conflict. And I pray they would cling to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, I do pray that you would provide for them financially. I even pray from among those that are in this room, you might provide. So that we as a group can take joy in the fact that we're partnering in the ministry of the gospel around the world. Lord, we thank you. We pray, convict our hearts of how we spend our time, how we spend our money, the resources you have given us to do your will. We thank you, God. We pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Y'all have a great week.